Welcome, friends, to Via Divina, the Celtic Way. My name is Orlando Crespo. I'm on staff with InnoVarsity as the director of La Fe, which is InnoVarsity's Latino Fellowship. So I'll also say, Bienvenidos, amigos y amigas. I'm grateful to be your guide for half of our walks together along our pilgrimage route. Wherever you're walking, I'll be joining you from my neighborhood in the Bronx, New York. I'm also joining you as someone who has been blessed, deeply blessed by experiencing the Celtic tradition firsthand in Ireland. In 2018, I spent a week in Ireland while on sabbatical, and I thought I was just going on a nice sightseeing trip. I thought I knew about Patrick and other saints, but from the moment I got there, God used their stories, their traditions, and their land to minister to me in profound ways. I grew up Catholic, as many Puerto Ricans do, and I knew vaguely of Patrick as another saint who's revered by Catholics and for whom, on March 17th, the Chicago River turns green and people drink alcohol in excess for some reason. But actually, Patrick's story is powerful. And he's admired by Catholics and Protestants alike. In fact, he was alive before either category existed. So when I was in Ireland, it became a place where my Catholic roots and my Protestant faith could safely come together. For many Latinos, if you're raised Catholic and you leave Catholicism, it's almost like you're leaving your culture as well. It was traumatic for me and my family when I left the Catholic faith. But in Ireland, through Patrick's story in particular, I was able to reconnect with the beauty and meaning of my family's Catholic faith. At one point, we visited a well at Ballantarver Abbey where Patrick baptized people. And you, you can actually buy holy water from that well. When I imagined that this water was from the same well that Patrick 1,600 years ago baptized people, it was no longer about Protestantism or Catholicism. It was about the cleansing waters of Christ. The water represented a through line from the past to the present. It made me feel a spiritual connection with Patrick, a godly man, that brought together both of my faith traditions. So I actually bought several bottles of holy water from that well at the Abbey's little shop to bring home and give as a symbol of healing and unity for my sister and my mother. So whether you're a Protestant, Catholic, or have no faith background at all, I feel like Patrick needs to be reintroduced to help us get started. Did you know he wasn't even Irish? I think most people assume Patrick was Irish and that's why he was so dedicated to Ireland as a country. And actually, the opposite is true. As we'll talk about later on our walk, Patrick was not Irish, but an English teenager who ended up a slave in Ireland, escaped, and then came back to the people and place that enslaved him. His return to his oppressors shocked, challenged, and inspired me, as I'll share with you later. I'm eager for you to get to know him as I have, and to meet his contemporaries like Bridget, 
Brendan, Kevin, and Columba. Throughout our series of walks, our hope for you is that you get to experience a taste of what it is like to wander with the same God who wrote their stories and altered the course of history through them. We hope you won't simply learn information about some interesting religious figures, but that you'll see how their stories impact each of us today, how our stories interact with theirs, how scripture, too, illuminates the examples they give us, and how, like I experienced myself in Ireland, their lessons can affect each of us in a more personal way than we might imagine. So today, as we'll do on each of our walks, we'll prepare ourselves to receive well from God with a simple exercise that will help center our hearts, minds, and bodies. Think of these times as a warm-up for your walk, a few moments to settle into your body, ideally in a suitable place where you can just be for a few moments. We invite you to experience the Celtic way with your whole self. When we tune into our breath and all of our senses, we can become more present to our bodies, our surroundings, and to God. The degree to which you can be aware of your own senses in your own context will allow for a deeper connection with the stories, scriptures, and reflection times of our walk. If at any point you'd like to spend more time with part of a sensory warm-up, just press pause and come back to the audio when you're ready. So, let's give it a try now. If you can, find a spot where you can stop for a while. This may be a bench, or on the ground, or leaning up against a tree. If you're comfortable doing so, you may close your eyes. Since sight is the dominant sense for most people, closing our eyes can help us focus on our other senses. Take a few deep breaths in through your nose and out your mouth. With each breath, sink deeper and deeper into the realization that you are here right now. Can you set aside your worries or concerns for this time? Bring your attention to the places where your body is touching the earth. How do these points of connection feel? How does the rest of your body feel today? Notice how the air feels on your skin. Now, still with your eyes closed if you can, I invite you to turn your attention to your sense of hearing. What sounds are nearby? What sounds are far away? 
Consider who or what is making these sounds. With three more deep breaths through your nose, take note of what you smell. Do you smell flowers or grass or the soil? Is someone cooking something nearby? Now take a few breaths with your mouth open. Can you perceive any taste in your mouth? Perhaps it's the residual taste of your morning coffee or tea or that last bite of your previous meal. Or maybe it's something that you can detect in the air around you. As we turn to our sense of sight, I invite you to close your eyes for just a moment if they weren't already closed. When I count down from three, open your eyes and take in all that there is to see. Look around you as if you are seeing for the first time. Three, two, one. Let's continue our walk. Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in the New International Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the Message Version. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. In the beginning, before form and order and rhythms of life came into being, before all creation was declared good, how do we describe that before? In Hebrew, the word here in Genesis is tohu wa bohu, which means formless, void. And like the message version says, a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness. But even then, 
there was not really nothing. The Spirit of God was present, hovering like a bird over the waters. The Creator's Spirit was there, ready and anticipating the first word that would speak light into the darkness and being into the void. and void where we meet Patrick. At 16, his life took a traumatic turn. He was abducted by a band of pirates, carried away from his homeland of Britain by boat, and brought to the northern tip of Ireland. There he was sold into slavery to the Irish people and labored as a shepherd on Slemish Mountain, an extinct volcano that sticks out like an odd lump in the surrounding emerald-colored plains. Imagine Patrick feeling a gloom descend on his life up there in Slemish Mountain, enslaved in a strange land, among a strange culture, with a strange language. Imagine him grappling with the chaos as everything that made sense or gave meaning to his life was stripped away all of it gone. Imagine him on that hill, facing a bottomless emptiness, the inky blackness of Genesis 1, verse 1. Nothing to ease the ache of loneliness, nothing to shield him from the relentless biting wind either. The sheep Patrick tended, his only companions, took the hail and rain and wind in stride, protected by their thick wool. And while he slowly adapted to his new reality, he dreamt of freedom, of returning to his homeland, to his family. His parents likely dragged him to services each week to worship a God who seemed to have little to do with his life as he grew up. Now, where was this God of his youth? Was he relevant? Was he real? And yet, without Patrick being fully aware of it, the Creator's Spirit was hovering over the chaos and darkness of his life. The same Spirit that spoke light and life in Genesis was ready to speak to Patrick, ready to breathe new life into being. Alone and totally exposed, Patrick cried out to God. He cried out to the God whom he had heard much about, but in whom he did not have interest in until now. Now that he was unmoored, hopeless, captive, a stranger in a strange land, Patrick cried out to God. As raindrops soaked his hair and left his cloak damp and cold, he prayed. As hail pounded against his exposed face, he prayed. When the sun's rays, gentle at first, then piercing, 
forced his eyes to squint, he prayed. As he trod through thick mud and sheep droppings surrounded by his smelly flock, he prayed. And each day, the love of God and the fear of God grew in him. Something new started to take root in him. Years later, in his spiritual autobiography, Patrick remembered how his faith increased as he prayed, so that on a given day he might pray a hundred times and nearly as often through the night. I woke up before daylight to pray in the snow, he said, in icy coldness, in rain, because as I now see, the Spirit was burning in me at that time. His constant prayers joined with the constant bleeding of the sheep, the constant gusts of wind. With each change of season, Patrick called upon the God of all creation, the God whose love was transforming his heart. Here in unchosen circumstances far from home, enslaved at the mercy of the wild yet beautiful land, a flame of God's love was kindled in Patrick the fervent Spirit of God took root in him, and something new began to form in Patrick. What is your life like right now? What is your world like? So many times in our life stories, we find ourselves in places and situations that we would not have chosen. We find our world in chaos and disorder and darkness. Take time now to consider any unchosen circumstances you're experiencing currently. Is there a part of your own life that feels chaotic, formless, inky blank? Where do you need to encounter the love of the Creator God? Where do you long for God to do something new? Talk to God about that while the music plays for a little while. If you'd like some more time to hold this before the Lord, just press pause and come back when you're ready.
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, 
Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Genesis 1 paints a beautiful picture of Creator, crafting a masterpiece of flourishing life. As God speaks, the hovering spirit moves into action and creates sustainable order and biodiversity. God creates trees that bear fruit, that yield seeds, that will bring more trees and more fruit and more seeds. He creates sun and moon and stars, lights to guide day and night, and changing seasons and years. He creates sea creatures, winged birds. Everything fills and multiplies. An abundance of life, everything nurturing and cultivating, everything flourishing. As each new thing is spoken into being, Creator looks closely and says, it is all good, very good. And of course, it is good. Every tree, every rock, every fish, every insect, is breathed into being by the spirit and word of a good creator God. It is fitting that Patrick, who would later devote his life to sharing Christ with Irish people, would himself encounter God among creation in their land. 
Although Patrick grew up in a religious family, it was his encounter with God on Irish soil that changed him. His transformation into a heart, soul, mind, body, love for Jesus didn't happen in a church building, but in the land. Alone, but not really alone, in the company of God's creation. In the company of the Spirit of God that hovers over darkness, ready to speak new life and goodness and blessing. Patrick encountered God in a specific land, on Slemish Mountain, on the island of Ireland. Perhaps this encounter is what helped him later love this land that had held him captive because he knew God's presence and love in that place, for that place. How might we learn to love the land where we find ourselves today? How might God encounter us on and through this place we're in? In the book of Psalms, worshipers of God wax poetic about creation and its good creator. And today there is still so much of this goodness to marvel at, to praise God for. So let's follow a psalmist's example now as we walk. As we listen to Psalm 104, we'll pause now and again, and I'll encourage you to consider what is good around you and praise God for creating it. Trust that God can and wants to encounter you the way he encountered Patrick. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messengers, fire and flame your ministers. Gaze above you and imagine God's hand putting each cloud in its place. We rarely give clouds a second thought, and yet NASA says clouds have an enormous influence on Earth. Take a moment to praise God as a creator of these gifts in our atmosphere. You might praise him for the complex science he designed for clouds to exist and function well. The right ingredients of water and wind, for example. Or you might enjoy simple childlike awe and praise him for the shapes you see in the clouds above you. Set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. At the sound of your thunder they take to flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down to the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, 
giving drink to every wild animal. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing amongst the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Is there some form of water where you're walking? Praise God now, whether it's for water flowing in a stream or river, waves lapping on a shore, the stillness of the surface of a lake. Maybe it's rained recently, or there is God-made water pouring out of a man-made sprinkler or fire hydrant. Cause the grass to grow for the cattle, the plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are the refuge for the badgers. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the animals of the forest come creeping out. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there living things both small and great. There go the ships, and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. What kind of animals live where you're walking? Where has God given them their home? Are ants making hills in the cracks of the sidewalk? Are horses or cows grazing in a pasture? Is someone's cat basking in a patch of sun in an apartment window? Praise God for the wildlife, working animals, and pets he's gifted us since days five and six of the creation story. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. As we recognize God's love in the ways he keeps the earth turning, the seasons changing and life cycling in the rhythms he set for it all, let's join with the psalmist who cries out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. As we go on this pilgrimage together, each of us brings our own story and background to the stories and scripture we're exploring. For example, when I learned about St. Patrick's story, it had a particular impact on me as a Puerto Rican who grew up in New England. When we journey in community, even virtually, it's a gift to receive stories and scriptures through the unique cultural lenses each of us brings. That's why I'm grateful we're about to hear Patrick's story retold by Cortland Hopkins, who serves with InterVarsity's Native Ministries. Similar to me, Patrick's story has impacted Cortland in a particular way as a Native man, which inspired him to transliterate a bit of Patrick's life for us. As you listen to the story in the First Nations style, you'll notice right away that the word Patrick isn't even used. In the Bible, names were often given by parents or by God with a distinct attention to their meaning in Hebrew. Biblical names might use one or more Hebrew words to convey something about the person's destiny or a particular character trait. My son's name, for example, is David. Most biblical translators say David derives from the Hebrew word dad, meaning beloved. My wife Maritza and I chose this name because we wanted our son to seek after God like King David did, because he was known as a man after God's own heart. But I think God had his name on our lips from the beginning of my wife's pregnancy. You see, Maritza had had a miscarriage months before she was pregnant with David, and she ended up being severely sick for the last six months of her pregnancy with him. We feared daily that she could also miscarry David. But David grew stronger, even as Maritza grew weaker. He was born because he was dearly loved by God, and God would not permit anything to keep beloved from this world. The First Nations, too, use this way of naming people. 
places and things such that their name's meaning is appreciated. So as Cortland reads, you'll hear him refer to Creator Sets Free, a more literal yet poetic First Nations name for Jesus. And Patrick will be called Honored Man, because that's what the root of his name means in Latin. And he'll call Ireland Abundant Lands. The church he'll call Sacred Family. And Joseph he calls He Gives Sons. Let's welcome Cortland now to share more about himself, the cultural lens he offers us, and the blessing of hearing stories in this way. My name is Corlin Hopkins. I am from the Sichangu Lakota. My father is James Rattlingleaf, and my mother is Elizabeth Brings Three White Horses. I greet all you listeners with a good heart and a virtual handshake. The story of Patrick and the Celtic Christians has been close to my heart since my coming to follow Jesus, Creator Sets Free, in Native University and College. Patrick has been an example of what it means to come in a good way. Patrick came back to Ireland in a humble way that gave the Irish people much cultural honor and dignity, which in turn allows us today to receive gifts that otherwise may have been lost. I wrote Patrick's story in a native fashion so that we may hear his story with fresh ears. We must hear with new ears so that we can walk in the ways of Creator Sets Free, which are always new. We need to hear the old names with new words, so we can say the old names better. This is how Honored Man came to Abundant Lands. A long time ago, maybe 50 generations ago, in a land across the sea from Turtle Island, the ancestral name for North America, there is another, much smaller island, called Tin Island, the ancestral name for Britain. And on Tin Island, there was a boy whose parents had named him Honored Man. His parents were members of the sacred family of Creator Sets Free, and he was brought up knowing the story of Creator Sets Free and how he told the sacred family to retell his story to every land and all the tribes on the earth. Across a stretch of water was an island to the west, people with tribes who called it Abundant Lands. The tribes there had grown very confused about Creator, and some had forgotten him, completely trusting instead in evil spirits and stories alone. They were living in ways that dishonored Creator. The tribes of Abundant Lands often would raid Tin Island and take captives. Honored Man was 16 winters old when he was carried away as a captive on one of these raids. He was taken to Abundant Land and was given to a tribal member there who made Honored Man look after his sheep and his dogs. Honored Man was a captive in a strange land with a strange people who did not honor Creator Sets Free. One might think Honored Man would grow bitter and dark-hearted by being so badly treated. But Honored Man never forgot the Great Spirit, his Creator, and the ways he had been taught by his family. For even far away, and as a captive, he was still a beloved son of the Sacred Family, and must walk that way in their honor. Maybe he was heartened by the story of He Gives Sons from the Sacred Teachings, and thought, 
Well, at least I was not gotten rid of by my own brothers. He thought if he trusted Creator, like he gives sons did, he would be rescued and set free. Among the hills, honored man tended sheep that were not his, on a land that was not his own. But he learned the ways of speech, and of the honor of these tribes. And he prayed every morning at dawn. Abundant lands are a very green, but very chilly land. But honored man did not mind the chill. It was as if he was warmed by another fire. And even when it was bitter cold, he offered up his discomfort as an offering to Creator Sets Free. After seven years, Honored Man heard a voice telling him to walk east to the sea, which he did, and came across a boat of sailors from Tin Island, who took him aboard, and he finally came back to his family and his home. After he was back, his rescue and freedom were greatly celebrated, but that was not the end of the story. Creator sent Honored Man a powerful vision. In this vision, he saw a man from Abundant Lands call out and ask that someone be sent to tell the tribes there about Creator, and most importantly, about his son Creator Sets Free. These are the words Honored Man heard in his vision. Have pity on us, sacred captive boy. Come back and walk among us. Honored Man knew that Great Spirit was telling him to go back. He knew that the tribes there needed to hear the words of Creator Sets Free and be invited into the sacred family, so that they might be rescued, set free, and made whole. Knowing and trusting in Creator, Honored Man began learning all the ways to be a message bearer, so he could go back and help those who had held him captive. Maybe he trusted in the story of He Gives Sons, and that his captivity may have had a purpose to save not only one nation, but two. After his training was complete as a storyteller, message bearer, honored man, got on a boat to go back to Abundant Lands in the spring of the new year. Honored man was helped by how well he knew the tribes of Abundant Lands. He had lived there seven years. He knew their language, their ways, and could walk and act in ways the people could understand. You see, it's like this. Honored man used a clover, a plant very common in Abundant Lands, to explain the great mystery. It has three heart-shaped leaves, and is green and very soft. The three leaves are the three hearts of the Creator who made it all. The first is the great mystery, the true father of us all. The second is Creator Sets Free, the son of the great mystery. The third is the breath of Creator, which lives in the heart of all the sacred family, and flew over the face of the waters. Three hearts, three eternal lives, live in one. The great mystery. Honored man lived up to his name's meaning, and many came to follow him and trust in the story of Creator Sets Free. They wanted to be part of the sacred family, and their land is now filled with honored man stories. This is how the people who bring the story of Creator Sets Free should do it. Honor the command of Creator Sets Free, who wants his story to touch every tribe and every land. We must honor Creator by doing this, and trust in him totally in where he tells us to go. When we are his message bearers, we should follow Honor Man's example and conduct ourselves to bring no shame to the Creator's name or his message. Be a message bearer full of honor and respect for those who have not heard. I wish Honored Man had come to our tribes on Turtle Island. Maybe one like him still can. Let us take wisdom from his stories and the prayers he shared.
Let's take wisdom from honored man's story. I certainly have taken wisdom from Patrick's story. I feel it as a Puerto Rican, being from an island that's been colonized for over 400 years. My experience is one of being from a colonized and oppressed island and people. Patrick speaks so strongly to me as someone who lives in a country that I'm a part of and love, and yet also hold painful bitterness toward at the same time. As a person of color in America, someone who distinctly feels a weight of empire, colonization, and oppression, the idea of extending myself all of the best I have in my faith and service to love the nation that has oppressed and marginalized my people, to be able to do that can only be an act of God. Patrick didn't have to go back to Ireland. There are so many reasons why he shouldn't have gone back. And nobody would have blamed him. In fact, people would have commended him. His return to Ireland, the place of his oppression, is scandalous. But that's what Patrick did in response to God's call. It's difficult for me to talk about Patrick's return to his Irish oppressors without feeling it in my spirit, without tears welling up in my eyes. His story is offensive to me and redemptive at the same time. I'm offended because they didn't deserve him, and yet he gave himself. I'm appalled by God that he would ask Patrick to go back to the place of his oppression. It seems insensitive of God to do that. It feels like it's too much to ask. But that's what makes Patrick's story so powerful. In our human thinking, it makes no sense. But in God's sovereignty, it was the very thing that would bring repentance, sorrow, and redemption. The power of God in Patrick demonstrates a God of justice who cares for the oppressed and the oppressors. If we choose to allow God to do so, the Holy Spirit can transform our trauma in a way that helps us become people who bring God's love, healing, and wholeness even to people who have oppressed us and our communities. We can't worry about how the oppressors are going to think and act. All we can do is submit ourselves to Christ and ask him how he would have us act as redemptive people of God. Before I was introduced to Patrick while in Ireland in 2018, I thought of him as a patron saint of Irish Catholics, a kind of spiritual mascot. But I think we've got it wrong. Patrick should be the patron saint between oppressors and oppressed people. For me, Patrick became the patron saint of colonized peoples living with their colonizers. When I learned this about Patrick, I personally felt a spirit of renewal and rededication as a Puerto Rican American. By God's power and his grace, in the Holy Spirit, my heart can be changed toward how I view America so that instead of living in bitterness, I can see it as a country with systems and structures and institutions that God wants to transform. I can be a part of God's redemption, especially as a colonized person. And that gives me the hope and purpose I need to thrive 
as a person of faith. And Patrick offers me a model of how we can give ourselves fully to God in a way that can cost us everything, and yet God can give it back to us. The weight of Patrick's sacrifice matched the blessing that God brought. He shows us how our brokenness and pain can be transformed by God into something thoroughly healing, not only for our individual soul, but also for a country that so desperately needs it. So as we near the end of our first walk together, what do you sense God saying to you about all of this? What has God been saying to you personally through the stories in Genesis and Patrick's life, or even my story? How are you being invited to know Creator's love in the midst of your circumstances? Now, let's shift from thinking about how God wants to meet you individually to consider the larger implications of what you've heard today. What would it mean for you to put your feet back on difficult soil like Patrick did, to align yourself with God's redemptive purposes for the good of your community or even your nation? Thank you for trusting me with the beginning of your journey along the Celtic Way. I hope you experienced God's loving presence speaking life to you, even in the midst of the hard, unchosen circumstances of your life. And I pray that God blesses you with the spiritual courage to love in the hard places. The rest of our walks will surely continue to stretch, challenge, and bless you. As we await what more our loving Creator has in store during our pilgrimage, let's close with a blessing from the Northumbridge Community's Celtic Daily Prayer Book. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing, at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again 
into our doors. 